Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a Tuesday morning, November the 9th edition of the Christian Underground News Network. I'm your host, Kurt Chamberlain, along with your co-host, Pastor Dick Chamberlain, and uh, our regular Tuesday morning guest, Dr. J.B. Hickson. And uh, boy, J.B., I am excited about this morning's subject. Uh, it's, it's, it's a controversial one in some circles. Uh, I personally, uh, through study of scripture, don't see much controversy, but, but uh, the question that you're going to propose to us today uh, is going to be really important for Christians to understand, and, and for any unbelievers that are listening out there, this is also going to be critical for you to understand, and the question is uh, exactly what, J.B.? What are we well, going to be talking about? I'm excited, too. This uh, The topic today is, can we predict the date of the rapture? Can we yeah. predict the date of the rapture? And um, so, yeah, really glad to be with you guys. Always the highlight of my week on Tuesday mornings. Um, and uh, looking forward to, uh, to, to really a good discussion. Let me begin with just a couple of ministry updates here. We are looking forward to the next installment of our midweek Wednesday night series, which is uh, how to read and understand the Bible. And we're getting a, a lot of great response to that, a lot of great live streamers, um, a full house in the room, and then also people watching the video afterwards. So uh, if you're available tomorrow night, we encourage our listeners to tune in at six o'clock mountain time at notbyworks.org. And you can uh, participate in that uh, study on how to read and understand the Bible. If you're not able to join us by live stream, it'll be posted by tomorrow night. Uh, after, you know, by midnight for sure. Uh, and you can watch either the video or listen to the audio uh, podcast version. And then also wanted to announce, uh, we're really excited. We rolled out over the weekend, a brand new Not By Works mobile app. I and, saw that. Yeah. And it has really taken off. Uh, it's a wonderful new tool. So if you have a, a mobile phone or mobile device, uh, you can download this app. And it basically gives you one central location to access all of our podcasts, videos, devotionals, everything uh, related to our ministry. You can sign up for our newsletter there. Uh, you can get, send us messages there. So uh, really a great resource. And uh, I would just encourage listeners to go to the Not By Works website at notbyworks.org. And on the highlight carousel there, there, you'll see in the first, maybe the second or third spot, I think now uh, is a link that will show you how to download that and install that. So uh, check out the Not By Works uh, app. And again, um, check that out at our website. Uh, so with that, yeah, you ready to dive into our topic today? <laughs> Absolutely ready, sir. All right. So, you know, the reason I chose this topic is that with everything going on in the world today, we're getting more and more chatter um, about the return of the Lord. And that's the general name for it, because frankly, a lot of people don't really have a firm understanding of the biblical teaching about the two-phased return of Christ coming once for the church in the air and a second time in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy all the way to the earth to take the throne and usher in uh, the long-awaited Messianic kingdom. So uh, obviously there's been an interest in the return of Christ ever since Christ walked the earth and uh, it ebbs and flows depending on uh, current events and world events. And so uh, uh, through the years I've had to deal with a number of uh, kind of popular 
uprisings related to this topic. I can remember uh, six years ago, I did a, a two-part uh, audio message on the blood moon and Shemitah hysteria, I called it. In mm -hmm. fact, I might just mention, I'm thinking about uploading those two audio files to our podcast as a, as a kind of a blast from the past and a kind of oh, an yeah. archived, uh, you know, upload, uh, because I think even though they were six years old, they're just as relevant today because people tend to take a look at current events and then try to find passages in scripture that correlate to that. <clears throat> and then they come to the hasty conclusion that, boy, the Lord's going to return on such and such a date. Uh, so you've seen it in more recent times with things like the Mayan calendar. Mm -hmm. uh, you've seen it with, again, the blood moons uh, and the Shemitah, people trying to, people misunderstanding all of that. <clears throat> Jonathan Kahn, for example, uh, who may be a great guy. I, I've never actually met him, though I've met people that have worked with him. Uh, and I've read some of his stuff, not questioning his integrity or in any way personally attacking the man, but his hermeneutic, his uh, method of handling scripture is really off the reservation. And so he takes yes. passages that really have nothing to do whatsoever with uh, prophecy or eschatology or the return of Christ and mm -hmm. somehow twists it to make it, you know, into some type of a date setting approach. Um, but, you know, as we've said, this is nothing new. We could go back to the Millerites. We could go back to uh, all through, uh, you know, history and people have eagerly looked for the return of the Lord, which that's a good thing. <laughs> you yes. know, people, even in the early days of the church were eagerly anticipating the return of the Lord, as they should have, because he said that I will return. And uh, so, uh, but unfortunately, uh, as with most doctrinal errors, when we get our eyes off of the scripture and onto the newspaper headlines, uh, we end up kind of going astray. So I thought it would be good to sort of phrase the question this way. Can we predict the date of the rapture? Because so many people are trying to do, you know, just that. And uh, so what we'll do is I'll just kind of walk through a sort of a history of this notion of the rapture and, uh, and then get to scripture specifically and show you why the, the rapture, the return of the Lord to uh, rescue the church from this present evil age <clears throat> is a mystery previously unknown in the Old Testament. And it is also imminent, meaning that it will not happen at a predicted time. It will happen at a time known to no one. And there's no possible way that we can predict the date of the rapture. But I feel like to begin with, because I know uh, having you know, spoken for so many years at, at different prophecy conferences and across the country, that there are always people out there who do not believe in the doctrine of the rapture. They do not see two returns of Christ in the future. They just see one. They do not see a distinction between the church and Israel and God's program with each. And so I thought I would start out <clears throat> by addressing that topic and making sure that we at least um, spend a little bit of time making the case for the fact that there is going to be a rapture and that it is distinct from the second coming of Christ to establish his kingdom. So mm -hmm. one of the biggest arguments that I hear all the time about, you know, from those who don't believe in the rapture is that this is a novel view that only arrived on the scene in the last 150 years, uh, that uh, John Nelson Darby was kind of created it. In fact, people even go further to claim, and it's completely been debunked. So if you hear this argument, you need to recognize you're, you're listening to a lie. It's, it's widely been 
shown to be a made-up lie, but a lot of people still make the tired old argument that Darby got this uh, alleged information about uh, the rapture from some demonically possessed woman who, you know, revealed it to him or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and my good friend and colleague, Dr. Tommy Ice, has done a great job from an academic perspective of of kind of showing that that is simply not even close to the truth. So, but the bigger point here is that when people say that the rapture originated with Darby or the, the belief in the rapture, or that somehow it's a product of the last 150 years, they really don't know what they're talking about with all uh, respect. The rapture uh, is a term that refers to the sudden catching up of believers to meet the Lord in the air and be rescued from this present evil age before <clears throat> the great outpouring of God's wrath in that final, <clears throat> excuse me, seven-year period. So um, if you go back through history, and by the way, the key passages, and we'll come back to this, in the Bible that speak of the rapture, and the term <clears throat> rapture is a biblical term. It's used in 1 Thessalonians 4 in the Latin translation that Jerome made of the Greek New Testament, he chose that word rapire, which is where we get rapture, to, you, to translate the Greek word harpazo, which means catching up. So it's clearly a biblical word. It's used in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, 13 to 18. And that passage is one of the key passages on the rapture. But we also uh, look at passages like 1 Corinthians 15, John 14, 2 Thessalonians 2, Titus 2, 13, and, and others, where the doctrine of the rapture is taught. And we'll come back to some of those here in just a moment. But if you, if you think about the doctrine of imminency, and by the way, we have a, a DVD and a digital download uh, video entitled The Imminency of the Rapture. So if someone wants to study this in more detail or watch a video version of some of the material I'm going to be talking about today, <clears throat> I encourage you to go to the Not By Works uh, store and uh, you can get to that from our website or from our app. But let's define the doctrine of imminency. You know, that term imminence, uh, people often misspell it because there are uh, three different, uh, uh, you know, words that sound alike. Uh, there's imminence with an A, meaning inherent, intrinsic, innate. You know, um, sometimes uh, in the Catholic Church, they call the Pope his imminence in that sense. And then you've got eminence, uh, which is you know, meaning uh, important, renowned, and that's spelled with an E at the beginning. But we're not talking about either of those words, eminence. We're talking about the word eminence, I-M-M-I-N-E-N-C-E, -E, which means at any moment or at any time. So when the Bible, when we speak about the biblical doctrine of the imminency of the rapture, we're speaking about the doctrine that the rapture could happen at any moment, at any time. It is the next great prophetic event that will occur in the world. Nothing has to happen before it. It does not happen as part of a sequence of prophetic events. It is the beginning of the prophetic fulfillment of the end times. And so it cannot be predicted. But back to the historical argument, you know, again, people say, well, this no, nobody believed in the rapture throughout human history. And this was all just made up 150 years ago. Well, that's simply uh, not true. You know, if we ask the question, has the church always expected an any moment return of Christ, or has the church always believed in a two-phased return of Christ, once for his church and once for Israel? The answer is a resounding yes. And so I want to just briefly 
uh, here at the outset, spend a few minutes uh, talking about the historical, tr tracing the historical uh, view of the doctrine of the rapture. And we want to start in the first century and then go all the way up to the modern times. So obviously the first place to start is during the life and ministry of Christ. And in 33 AD, uh, just a day or so before Christ was crucified, he met with his disciples in the upper room. And for the first time, he revealed in somewhat veiled form this notion that he was going to come back specifically and rescue the church. Now, the church didn't exist yet, but he was speaking to the apostles in the upper room who would become the foundation of the church within a few weeks. And he says in John 14, 3, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So that's clearly not speaking about the second coming when, according to a host of Old and New Testament scriptures alike, Christ comes all the way to the earth to be where we are and establish his kingdom. Here he's saying, I'm going to go away, but I will come again and take you to be where I am. That's and that's right. a reference to the rapture in 33 AD. And then some 18 years later, after Christ has been crucified to pay the sin debt for the whole world, a resurrected, defeating death, hell, and the grave, ascended to the right hand of the throne of God in heaven, uh, we see the Apostle Paul writing one of his earlier epistles in 1 Thessalonians 4, as we just referenced a moment ago, and this was in 51 AD, and, and Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, talking about the physical bodies of those believers who have already died. But then he says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Mm -hmm. Same thing that he said to the disciples 18 years earlier in the upper room, that we're going to be, meet him in the air, in the clouds, that where yeah. he is, we may be also. And then he yeah. says, thus we shall always be uh, with the Lord. So that's in 51 AD. Now moving forward another five years in time, we see Paul writing his first letter in scripture to the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52, he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, not everyone's going to have to suffer physical death. Sleep there is a euphemism for death, because there will be a generation that is caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And he goes on to say, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. So that's another reference to the rapture in 56 AD. So this is during the time that the New Testament was still being written, the apostolic age, but we already are seeing God revealing through the pen of the apostles more information about uh, the rap, the doctrine of the rapture. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians 15, that reference to the last trumpet has caused some Bible students to go astray because they assume that every trumpet refers to the same thing in Scripture. But of course, we know this is not true. There are many references to trumpets throughout human history at various key moments of uh, time when God intervened directly in the affairs of mankind. Trumpets are often the signal of that. So there's absolutely no justification for assuming that the trumpet that sounds at the rapture is the same as the trumpets that will be sounding for judgment 
during the uh, tribulation period. Um, but then we see uh, going forward another 10 years. So now we're at 66 AD when Paul wrote his letter to Titus. And he says, we are looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you'll notice in each one of these rapture passages that we're, that we're tracing through history here, it's clear that he's not speaking about a full-fledged return all the way to the earth to take the throne in the rebuilt temple, because he uses place like uh, phrases like, you know, receiving us in the air and meeting him in the air and the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus in, Christ. In the clouds is another reference. Yeah, yeah, okay. in the clouds. Exactly, exactly. Sure. So, and then at the end of the first century, John, the apostle, the same one who was in the room in 33 AD when Jesus first unveiled this notion of a separate return just for his church, uh, John writes in 90 AD, give or take, we don't know the exact date, but that's within a couple of years. Um, he says, now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, John is talking there about abiding, which is something that Jesus spoke of extensively uh, in, uh, in the upper room. Uh, and he, the, the word abide is the Greek word meno, and it means to uh, remain close to, to be in fellowship with, to main in, remain intimately close. And if you recall, Jesus had told the disciples in the upper room, you know, this would be 60 years earlier nearly, uh, that he was going to be going away, but they needed to stay close to him and the Holy Spirit would come and he would help be their comforter and he would guide them and teach them. And so John is simply echoing the same thing that Jesus told the disciples. And by the way, Jesus also told the disciples in that same upper room conversation that the Holy Spirit would help bring to their remembrance the things that he was saying to them right then. And so 60 years later, we see the fulfillment of that when the Holy Spirit prompts John to write about abiding in Christ and how important that is. But back to the verse in 1 John 2.28, he says, abide in him so that we will have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Now, if we could predict the precise date of his return based on a sequence of events that God reveals in Scripture, then John wouldn't really have to say this, would he? Because we could sort of eat, drink, and be merry until that specific appointed time came mm -hmm. and then straighten up and be ready to receive him, right? Yeah, yeah we can give ourselves two weeks' notice. Yeah, exactly. Great way to put it. You know, it's like when we were kids and our parents would you know, leave us home when we got a little bit older and, and they'd go out for a night uh, for a dinner or something. And they'd, they'd say, now we're going to be back by nine. So we would wreak havoc and go crazy up until about 830. And then we'd say, hey, the mom and dad are going to be home pretty soon. We better straight, we better clean this place up. You know, we better put all the toys up, and clean, put oh, the dishes yeah. in the dishwasher. Right. So, but the very fact that he is cautioning us to, to abide in him and be prepared indicates that his coming is imminent, meaning it could happen at any moment. Mm -hmm. So we certainly see, and that's just a brief overview, but in the first century, during the time of the writing of scripture, we certainly see clear biblical evidence of a sudden catching up of church age believers to meet the Lord in the air. But yes. again, if we go back to the post-apostolic age, um, you know, the, say the early 100s, we see many references to a two-phased return of Christ. For example, the Didache, which was during the first century, contemporary with Scripture, uh, talks about the imminency of, of the return of Christ. Uh, the apostolic fathers like Clement of Rome, Ignatius, yes. um, 
the epistle of Barnabas, the shepherd of Hermas, all of these were in the second century AD, the, the 100s, if you will, uh, mm -hmm. speak of imminency. In fact, uh, the shepherd of Hermas, uh, which was early hundreds AD, speaks specifically about a pre-tribulational concept of the rapture in which we escape the great day of the Lord's coming wrath, that seven-year period. Uh, so that's after the Bible, and it just shows that early on the church understood what the, uh, the apostles had taught and Jesus had taught about a two-phased return, uh, once for the church and once for uh, the, you know, to come all the way to the earth for Israel to set up their long-awaited kingdom. And then if you move on in time into, say, the third century, uh, expressions of eminency abound. You see, you know, Justin Martyr, you see Arrhenius, Tertullian, Hippolytus, Cyprian, uh, all of these in the second, uh, you know, mid-second and into the mid-third centuries AD speak of a two-phased uh, return of Christ. We also know in 373 AD, so now we're into the late fourth century AD, that a pseudo Ephraim claims uh, uh, to believe in a two-phased return. He says, quote, this is from pseudo Ephraim, all the saints and elect of God are gathered together before the tribulation, which is to come, and they are taken to the Lord in order that they may not see at any time the confusion which overwhelms the world because of our sins. We ought to understand thoroughly, therefore, my brothers, what is imminent, same word we've been talking about, or overhanging. That was 373 AD, you know, centuries before Darby. So again, when people talk about, you know, the rapture didn't come into existence until Darby, they're just speaking out of ignorance. Uh, in the medieval period, uh, uh, we could talk about uh, Codex Amiatinus in the 690 to 700 AD period, or Brother Dolcino, 1260 uh, AD, and we see references uh, you know, to a two-phase second coming. And this was during the time that, uh, you know, from Augustine to the Renaissance in human history, uh, the thought was largely dominated by Augustine's spiritualization of the millennium. Remember, Augustine in his book, City of God, taught that, you know, there was not going to be a literal kingdom. Christ was going to reign within the heart of the saints, of believers. And he spiritualized the Bible and began taking a non-literal approach. And so, mm -hmm. That basically resulted in almost a complete disappearance of the view of a, of a two-phase second coming, but not entirely. There were still a group within this, you know, these centuries of the medieval period that still held on as a remnant and taught what the Bible teaches, and that is a two-phased uh, return of Christ. And then that brings us up to the Reformation era. And we see a number of references in the 17th and 18th centuries, just before Darby comes on the scene, uh, that there would be a two-phased return of Christ, once for the church in the air and once all the way to the earth to establish the earthly kingdom. Peter Giroux, in his book, Approaching Deliverance of the Church, which was written in 1687, Again, that's long before Darby came around, 200 years before Darby. Right. Uh, he taught that Christ would come in the air to rapture the saints and return to heaven before the Battle of Armageddon. He spoke of a secret rapture prior to Christ's coming in glory and judgment at Armageddon. Mm -hmm. Philip Doddridge, 1738, his commentary on the New Testament, and John Gill's commentary on the New Testament, both use the term rapture and speak of it as imminent. 
again, well before Darby. So yes. it's clear that these men believed that Christ's coming for the church would precede his coming to the earth uh, at a time of judgment and to establish the long-awaited uh, kingdom. So others like Morgan Edwards in the 1740s, James McKnight, 1763, Thomas Scott, 1792. And I know these names uh, probably mean nothing to our listeners, but I really belabor the point because I get so tired of hearing uh, well-intentioned, but, but frankly, ignorant Bible students and Bible teachers state that the rapture was never taught in human history prior yeah. to the 1800s with Darwin. Yeah, trying to convince us it's a new concept. It's not yeah. at all. It's not at all a new concept. I mean, clearly there was a uh, uptick in the literature about it starting mm -hmm. in the mid-1800s and beyond, but yes. that's because there was, uh, you know, you had things like the printing press and you had more technology and more books and, and people were beginning to read the Bible for themselves instead of just trust what the Catholic Church told them. So, it, of course, there was an uptick in, in literature about every topic, but uh, a careful study of church history shows that the church has for 2,000 years taught, uh, you know, a two-phase return of Christ. And I might hasten to add, because otherwise a Pastor Dick over there might uh, rebuke me, that uh, we're not suggesting that church history is the definitive ruling on the matter of whether there's a two-phase second coming or not. The Bible teaches it. That's what matters most, right. and that's why I started with the Bible. But I'm just simply responding to the erroneous view that somehow this view was never taught in church history when clearly uh, it was. But even if it wasn't, uh, that doesn't matter. What matters is what does the Bible say, and the Bible yes. clearly teaches the doctrine of the rapture. So back to our question. We, we now see clearly that the doctrine of the rapture is a biblical doctrine. It has been taught throughout church history um, by those who practice a literal, grammatical, historical approach to Scripture and, and see Scripture for what it is. Uh, obviously, if you spiritualize the Scripture like Augustine did, you're going to come up with all kinds of fantastical views, but a consistent literal interpretation leads you to the uh, belief in a two-phased return of Christ, once at the rapture for his church and once at the second coming uh, to establish his kingdom on earth. Uh, so the question is, can we predict the date of the rapture, the first of his two returns? And as I've been suggesting with my references to the doctrine of imminency, meaning it could happen at any time, uh, the answer is a resounding no. We cannot predict uh, the doctrine of the rapture. And I want to kind of prove that, if I may, by giving you some, some biblical teaching on this doctrine. So we've talked about the doctrine of the rapture, but let's take it a step further and see what the Bible says about imminency. So there are some key passages in the first place that imply imminency. So let's start there. One of these would be in 1 Corinthians 16, 22. Uh, the early church had a special greeting for one another, which was Maranatha. Maranatha. Maranatha is three Aramaic words, Mar, Lord, Anna, Our, and Fa, Come, meaning Our Lord, Come. <laughs> and uh, in fact, some English translations, uh, like the New King James, don't, they just translate it, O Lord, Come, uh, or Our Lord, Come, but it's, it's the word Maranatha. And uh, Our Lord, Come only makes sense if an any moment or imminent return of Christ was understood. 
I mean, think about it. If you knew that Christ wasn't going to come back until after the tribulation, after mm -hmm. the very clear, detailed specifics that are given to us in Revelation 6 to 18 and throughout the Old Testament and in Jesus' Olivet Discourse, if you knew that his return was only going to be one return and it wasn't going to happen till the end of all that, why in the world would you waste time saying, oh, Lord, come, you know? Right, yeah. It just doesn't make sense. You can, you know, if Christmas is not going to come till, till December 25th, you can start saying in June, come, come on, Christmas, come on, hurry up. But, hurry, it, hurry. but it won't get there till Christmas Day. Yeah. It's not going to get there. Exactly. So I think that this concept of Maranatha mm -hmm. implies, again, I'm not hanging my hat on that. I'm going to hang my hat on a theological proof from scripture in a moment. But I think that's a very key passage that implies imminency. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Also, yes. we see in 1 Corinthians 1, 7, uh, where he says, we are eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the unveiling or the appearance of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word eagerly awaiting is apekdekamai, and I don't have my notes in front of me, but I'm pretty sure it only occurs seven times, and I'm pretty sure that all, I know for a fact that all of the occurrences of that word eagerly awaiting, it's one word in Greek, apekdekamai, refer to the rapture. And, um, and, uh, and I believe uh, if you if you believe Paul wrote Hebrews, which is which I do, although I wouldn't you know die on that hill. Um, but if he did write Hebrews, then all seven usages of apekdekamai are by Paul, because six of them are in the Pauline epistles and one is in Hebrews. So, and, and by the way, one more note that just pops into my mind: uh, apekdekamai in you know in First Corinthians sort of shows that we're bookending the letter to first Corinthians at the beginning with a reference to the rapture and at mm -hmm. the end with a reference to the rapture about Maranatha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but anyway, eagerly waiting, yeah. why would we eagerly be waiting in, on the edge of our seats for something that we know isn't going to happen for yeah. at least seven years, if not longer? Um, right. it, it seems, uh, it seems inconsistent. Uh, we see the same word used by Paul in Philippians where he says, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, eagerly wait for the Savior. It's a, it's a continual state of expectancy is the idea there. First uh, Thessalonians 1.10, we are to wait for his son from heaven. Well, you know, if God knew that he wasn't going to return uh, in their lifetime, why would he tell him to wait for him? I mean, that okay. seems inconsistent. But God knew that according to the doctrine of eminency, it could happen at any moment. It could have happened during the days of the first and second century or any time since then, and it could happen today, but it might not happen for a hundred years. But the point is the rapture could happen at any moment, right? And uh, so we see, uh, you know, for example, 1 Timothy 6.14, that we should keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing. So, uh, again, the reference to the blessed hope, it's not much of a blessed hope if we're going to have to pass through the tribulation period and, and, and engage in all kinds of horrific uh, judgments and cataclysmic events on earth and the reign of terror of the great tyrant, the Antichrist. That's not something to be hopeful about, but mm -hmm. it is hopeful 
if we're looking for the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior to rescue us from the day of the Lord's wrath. Amen. Titus 2.13. Um, so again, we see several passages, um, you know, uh, referring to the eagerly awaiting Hebrews 9, 28, uh, Philippians 4, 5. Here's another one. Again, I think implies imminency, but it doesn't necessarily prove it. Uh, and that is when Paul says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Yep. Well, you can't really be at hand unless you're expected at any moment. Uh, right. If you're not going to be right. coming for several years, which is the alternative view, then you're not really at hand. Um, yep. We see the same thing in James 5. Uh, the coming of the Lord is at hand. Uh, another veiled reference, I think, there to the rapture. You have um, to wonder how, how those passages can be ignored. Yeah. No, they, they, they are. I think, uh, I think it's just an example. That's a great question, Curtis, or a great comment, Curtis. You know, it's, I, I think people... Um, <clears throat> have been conditioned, first of all, as we said, by centuries of Roman Catholic dogma, uh, yes. that, the, the, that the church is the same thing as Israel. Israel has been replaced by the church. The kingdom is now. It's happening, you know, on earth in our present form spiritually. And so, but they've also been conditioned by some really dogmatic, but bad teaching by some very popular replacement theologians today. I and mean, replacement yes. theologian just means those who teach the church has replaced Israel uh, in God's plan. Well, the church has not replaced God's uh, Israel in God's plan. Uh, God still has a future for national Israel. Paul makes this abundantly clear in Romans 9 through 11, as well as many other passages. And if God is to be trusted, and of course he is because he cannot lie, then we know that his promises made to Israel in the Old Testament must be fulfilled precisely as they were uh, predicted. And yeah, so there's no, there's no blurring of this distinction between the church uh, and Israel. Um, and so uh, there's several passages then that speak of, you know, watchfulness. Um, uh, and again, you know, we have to be careful because these passages, for example, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, where the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night, that kind of a thing. Um, or 1 Thessalonians of five verse six, a few verses later, let us watch and be sober or um, those kind of passages. Uh, we we want to be really careful uh, and again, not hang our hat on the watchfulness language because that same language is used of the second coming during the tribulation. And it's not imminent. They know exactly when it's going to happen seven days after or seven years after the signing of the peace treaty in Daniel 9, 27. But still, um, you know, the watchfulness passages are, I think, in context, talking about an any moment return, which makes it even more important to be a watchful. Um, yeah. So how would we demonstrate really irrefutably that the doctrine of the rapture is imminent? Well, I think we've done a pretty good job so far by showing that the very by its very nature, which it is a mystery, it's in the twinkling of an eye, it's something that only affects the church, it's something that Jesus promised way back in 33 AD, and mm. the promise was reiterated many times in Scripture, and then starting in the second century after the Bible was complete, we see all the way for the last 2,000 years repeated references to uh, the church fathers in history 
and other Bible teachers in history who understood correctly that it was going to, to happen at any moment. So I think we've pretty much proven it, but let's just kind of put the, the icing on the cake, if you will, really seal the deal um, and uh, prove this, I think, in five steps. So five steps to proving imminency. Number one, all end times prophecies relate to the time of Daniel's 70th week or later, all of them. So if you look at any list of Bible prophecies in my book, uh, What Lies Ahead, a biblical overview of the end times, uh, which you can uh, check out at notbyworks.org on the store there, uh, I give a list of uh, end times events at the back in an appendix, uh, and all of them sort of center around this seven-year period leading up to the return of Christ and his millennial uh, reign. And, you know, Dan, what, what do we mean by Daniel's 70th week? Well, Daniel prophesied in Daniel chapter 9, God gave Daniel a prophecy that was a 490-year period. And he spelled out very specifically when it would begin, when it would end, and what would happen throughout that 490-year uh, time. And we know specifically from the Daniel 9, 24 to 27, that the first 483 of those years have already been fulfilled, and right. they ended with the time of Christ at his first advent. Right. But the final seven-year period, according to Daniel, will not happen until later, right. uh, after the destruction of uh, Jerusalem, for example, in 70 AD, and, uh, and not, will not, that seven-year period will not start until the future Antichrist signs a treaty, a peace treaty. So seven years kind of kick that first seven years kind of kicks off all that's going to begin to unfold in biblical prophecy. And I know we've talked about before on this uh, program that, you know, uh, uh, roughly 33% uh, or so of Bible of the Bible is prophecy. And half of that has not been fulfilled. It's unfulfilled. So that means that there's 16% of the Bible that is yet to come to pass, and that all starts with uh, this seven-year period. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. all end times prophecies relate to the time of Daniel's 70th week or later. That's step number one. Step number two in the five steps is that the seal judgments take place at the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. They take place at the beginning of that final seven-year period we just talked about. Now, why is that important? Well, because the seal judgments are the wrath of God. We'll talk about that in a moment. And because of that, some people have tried to push the seal judgments later into the seven years. But we know that the very first seal judgment in, in Revelation chapter 6 is the unveiling of the Antichrist, that rider on a right, white horse that's a fake, an imposter coming out to make war and to conquer. And so the seal judgments begin at the beginning of the seven years. So step one, all end times prophecies relate to that seven-year period or later. The seal judgments spoken of in Revelation 6 start at the beginning of that seven-year period. Step number three, and this is crucial, those seal judgments comprise the prophetic wrath of God. Right. They are the wrath. The wrath begins at the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. 
So you don't have wrath starting later on. You don't have the wrath starting with the trumpets or starting with the seals or starting at the midpoint or halfway through. There's been all these erroneous viewpoints about when the wrath of God is actually being poured out. Well, look no further than Revelation 6, because yep. by the end of Revelation 6, the text is very clear that they're already hiding from the wrath of God. Yeah. Verses 16 and 17, we read, fall on us and hide on hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the uh -huh. great day of his wrath has come. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know how you can be any more clear. So, yeah. so Crystal back to clear. the five steps again, you know, track with me here. I'm kind of a linear thinker and a logical person here, but step one, all end times prophecies relate to that final seven year period or later. Step two, the sealed judgments take place at the beginning of that seven years from day one. Step three, the sealed judgments comprise the prophetic wrath of God. And now watch this. Step four, the church is explicitly promised to be exempt from the prophetic wrath of God. Yes, sorry. Uh, again, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, he delivers us from the wrath to come. 1 Thess 5.9, God did not appoint us. Uh, to wrath. So yeah. clearly, if the church has to be gone before that seven-year period begins, then step five, the rapture must occur before Daniel's 70th week starts, which makes it imminent. We have nothing else in scripture that says anything about something that has to happen before the rapture. We have 16% of the Bible that speaks of end times prophecy, starting with the the Antichrist and his seven-year reign of terror and everything else associated with it and beyond that. And then we have a separate teaching that was a mystery, meaning something never before revealed until God revealed it in the New Testament, that relates only to the church. And we are promised that we would be rescued before the terrible day of the Lord's wrath. So, so no, no, no pun intended, JB, but so literally that the rapture is up. The date of the rapture is up in the air. <laughs> it really is. Okay. Yeah, that'd be a great right. book title. The date of the rapture is up in the air. I like that. Okay. Um, so, uh, so yeah, no, that's exactly right. We just don't know. Now, uh, let me conclude our time together here by talking for a moment about the distinction between a fulfilled prophecy and setting the stage for the fulfillment of prophecy. Okay. So. This is what separates the what I call the sensationalists or the date setters within Bible prophecy movement from uh, guys like me who are you know futurists. We believe that you know, these prophecies are going to come true, uh, but we we do not take it so far as to set dates. The sensationalists will look at things happening and claim this is the fulfillment of that, if you will. Uh, you know, for example, they'll take passages like uh, Psalm 83 uh, and claim that it is somehow a prophecy, first of all, which Psalm 83 is not a prophecy. There's nothing prophetic in Psalm 83. Uh, it's simply a declaration uh, in history. But they'll, they'll kind of pull out of there the references to different geographic regions, and then they'll correspond that uh, or correlate that with today and some of the things happening. Mm -hmm. And they'll say, see, this is the fulfillment of that. Or they'll yeah. do the same thing with Ezekiel 38 and 39 and say, well, we see Gog and Magog getting, you know, happening, or they'll do things like Jonathan Kahn has done with an obscure Old Testament text that has to do with 
agricultural laws, the Shemitah, and yeah. somehow turn it into a Bible prophecy about the rapture, <laughs> even though the rapture is never even mentioned in the Old Testament. Uh, it was a mystery. We know that. Paul tells us plainly it was a mystery, meaning something previously undisclosed in the Old well, Testament. We, we do see pictures of it in the Old Testament, but they're, they're only pictures. You know, Enoch walked with God, and then he was not. <laughs> you know, he was... Yeah, it depends what you mean by picture. I don't see that as a picture of the rapture per se, but we see uh, examples of things that will be similar to what the rapture is happening. So the concept is not unheard of, but I don't believe that Enoch is some kind of a typology of the rapture. I, I hold the view that typology can only be uh, self-declared. So if the Bible calls it a type, it's a type. Otherwise, it's just our own observation, and it can be unique. It can be interesting. It can be uh, sort of uh, catch our attention, but we can't state with authority that it's a typology, and same thing is true of Enoch. Um, but in any event, you're right, we do see Old Testament examples of similar concepts. So, mm -hmm. uh, so you know, when we, when we come back to this concept of people taking passages, you know, out of context and somehow, you know, suggesting that this is that, they are saying that a certain passage is being fulfilled when in reality, the next great prophetic event that will be fulfilled is the rapture. And there is nothing before that. So it's not like the rapture is number three or four or five on the list of future Bible prophecies. It's number one. And uh, that's because of the doctrine of imminency. Uh, however, we can justifiably and appropriately look at the signs of the times, as Jesus tells us to do, and as he rebuked the first century Pharisees for not doing, um, and we can sort of see how the stage might be getting set for future events. And if we see the stage being set for future events, we can speculate, and that's all it is, but we can speculate that if those future events are getting ready to happen, the rapture must be happening before that, because the Bible teaches it's going to happen before that. Right. So it might seem like we're splitting hairs here, but it is a, a, an important distinction between setting the stage and fulfillment. So uh, as we, for example, you and I have talked a lot about this uh, pandemic and all of the, the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab and all Bill Gates and the evil, you know, Satan worshipers like Tony Fauci, literally a Satan worshiper that are yes. out there, you know, promoting this uh, technology of this experimental bioinjection and how that technology could very easily be the kind of technology that the Antichrist might use uh, for the mark of the beast. Not yeah. saying in any way that this is the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast won't even come into existence until after the rapture and after the Antichrist has taken charge of the world. But from a setting the stage standpoint, everything that the Bible teaches us that the mark of the beast will accomplish during that seven-year period could be accomplished using the technology uh, that is now available through injecting sort of certain biological components into uh, one's body. So that, that there's nothing wrong with sort of looking at, at the world at as a whole, looking at geopolitical events, kind of seeing things happen that, again, could be setting the stage for future end times events. And as we contemplate that, then we just need to keep in the back of our minds that if that's true, if these types of events appear to be getting closer, the ones that are predicted, then that means by necessity, the rapture must be even closer 
Right. It has to happen before all of that based on the authority of scripture. Right. Correct. So does that make sense? Um, let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> you didn't have to think very long. No, I didn't have to think very long because you laid it out very clearly. You know, this, like the question I asked you a little earlier, I, I'm wondering how a lot of these passages that speak so clearly of the rapture as not just a concept, but an imminent, an imminent occurrence uh, can be ignored by so many. And I, I mean, I, I, you're, you're right, JB. Uh, people have been kind of duped by uh, Reformation, the, you know, Reformed theologists and, and <laughs> replacement theologists. It, 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 it's, but it's, it's stunning that there is so much evidence for it, and yet it's still being ignored. Yeah, again, I think people, uh, you know, it's, it's the old Mark Twain Mark Twain uh, concept, it's easier to fool people than to convince them they've been fooled. And once they've latched on to this uh, replacement theology concept that the church is Israel, there's no future uh, Davidic reign of Christ, there's no future temple and kingdom and throne and, you know, geographic boundaries as clearly spelled out in the Old Testament, then it's, it's hard to convince them. But, you know, uh, I do believe, you know, I've, I've been preaching for 32 years, and I have seen people who previously had bought into the lie that the church has replaced Israel, and there's only one return of Christ for all of his people after the tribulation. And I've seen them come around and recognize just through reading the scripture uh, that uh, the Bible teaches otherwise. And that's what I would like to encourage our listeners about is don't just take my word for it. Um, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. I'm just telling you that a plain normal reading of scripture and a survey of church history shows pretty clearly that Christ is going to return in two phases, once for his church, which could happen at any moment, and uh, that's why there's an urgency to the gospel. That's why we need to share the gospel, and if you're listening to this program and you've never trusted in Christ and him alone for salvation, today is the day of salvation, Amen. because if you don't believe the gospel today, it's going to be exponentially harder to believe it after the church is gone and uh, when the Antichrist's reign of deception reaches unprecedented heights. And so um, today's the day. I encourage you. I implore you. Be reconciled to God through faith alone and Christ alone. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, read the Bible for yourselves, and, and, and you will see that uh, there's a, Christ is going to return twice, once for the church at any moment, and, and then a second time with the church, coming back with him, Revelation 19, to help rule and reign as promised. You know, multiple passages in the New Testament talk about how believers from this present church age will rule and reign with Christ. Jesus told the yeah. disciples, for example, that they would sit on 12 thrones with him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we see the church represented in 24 thrones around the throne in heaven during the tribulation, the 24 elders. Uh, we see references in Hebrews and also in uh, Luke 19, uh, where the church is promised to be put into positions of authority with Christ in the kingdom. Uh, so we don't, uh, you know, we, we will come back with Christ at the second advent, but prior to that, we will be rescued when we are caught up together to meet the Lord in the air uh, at the rapture. Amen. Amen. Wow. You know, we're, we're supposed to love his appearing and buddy, I'll tell you, I, I've loved hearing this today, uh, JB. Uh, thank you for 
for uh, cementing uh, these facts for me. And, and uh, here at the Christian Underground News Network, we have also implored our listeners, don't just take our word for it. We're, we're with you on that, JB. We, yeah. we encourage people to dive into the word themselves and verify uh, what we're telling them is the truth. Uh, what, what the scripture says is true. So, you know, listeners, right, don't take our word. Look into it yourself. Look into yourself. Uh, look into it yourself. We, we encourage that. Absolutely. Um, now, now, JB, uh, we thank you for this hour. And I'll tell you what, that was an encouragement to me. Uh, uh, you know, we're told to comfort one another with these words. And listen, <laughs> It, it is comforting, isn't it? It Amen. really truly is. I only got I only got one period to put on, on the sentence. Yeah. Even so come. Even so come, Lord Amen. Jesus. You bet. Amen. Amen. Um, hopefully, uh, we'll see you again next week. Uh, but before we sign off, we want to remind our listeners that that number one, uh, they can they can hear you midweek on Wednesdays live stream from Plum Creek Chapel in Sedalia, Colorado at, uh, is it, it's six o'clock mountain time. That's right. Okay. So you can live stream JB's, uh, directly from his church. This is live uncensored. Uh, it's great stuff always. And, um, Wednesday night, 6 PM mountain time, you can tune in and get some great, great Bible teaching, uh, at, at JB's church. So and, don't and miss it. Yeah, don't miss it. And uh, next week on this uh, interview, our, our regular Tuesday morning time with Christian Underground News Network, I think we'll go ahead and announce that we're going to do another Q&A like we did once before and encourage people idea. between now and then to reach out to you at Christian Underground News Network or me at notbyworks.org. Uh, you can email us or reach out to us by messaging us through the app, the new Not By Works app. And again, I encourage you to check that out. Uh, the simplest way to find it would be just to go to our website, notbyworks.org, and watch for the scrolling announcement about the new app. Click on it, and it'll tell you how to download it. Um, but one way or the other, reach out to us with your questions, and we'll compile a list. And then next week, uh, I think we'll dedicate the whole uh, session to the theological Q&A. I think it's a great idea. I think our listeners would appreciate that and enjoy it immensely. I know I would. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to next Tuesday. Yeah, and questions about uh, current events or biblical doctrine. It doesn't matter. Yes. Wide, wide open. Uh, we, we would love to talk about some of the things happening in the world around us. Uh, but whatever the Lord puts on our listeners' hearts, we want to want to dialogue about it. Amen. And our listeners know that whatever we talk about, whether it's whether it's history, uh, whether it's contemporary uh, society, whatever, we always view all of it through the lens of scripture that we will not do it any other way. We promise you, we guarantee you that. Amen. Amen. All right. Now, uh, don't forget also listeners that uh, we're going to be with, uh, have, have some more great Bible teaching from pastor Dick uh, coming this Saturday morning. And then also on Saturday evening with our great friend, Lucas Doremus. Uh, listen, you can't beat this lineup. We've got Dr. J.B. Hickson on Tuesday morning, Pastor Dick Saturday uh, Saturday morning, and Lucas uh, Doremus on Saturday evening. You can't beat it. You're getting some of the best Bible teaching in the world right here at the Christian Underground News Network, and we are we are we're very very uplifted to be able to present it. 
Yeah, and and JB, I want to thank you again for being a a, a member of our team here, and that we we are incredibly blessed to have you, sir. You bet. Well, the pleasure is so much. The pleasure is all mine. All right, my brother. Uh, I think with that, with the reminders of what's coming up and everything that's available during the week, uh, it would be a good time to sign off until Saturday morning. And so this is the Christian Underground News Network uh, signing off. We'll see you and be with you again on Saturday morning. Please don't miss it. <laughs>